Welcome to Move Forward Radio, a show featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts. This program is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Learn how physical therapists can help people of all ages and abilities reduce pain and improve and restore motion to achieve long-term quality of life at MoveForwardPT.com. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Jason Bellamy. The benefits of exercise are numerous and profound, but for female athletes, intense exercise can sometimes lead to a trio of distinct interrelated conditions that can have immediate and lasting effects if untreated. The female athlete triad, or triad for short, involves menstrual dysfunction, reduced bone mineral density, and energy deficiency related to disordered eating. Despite its multiple elements, the triad sometimes goes undiagnosed and untreated, because many symptoms can range from mild to severe, and because the triad is related to issues that many athletes might be reluctant to discuss, body image and menstrual abnormality. The best prevention, then, is education, and today on Move Forward Radio, we're joined by Dr. Kelly Wakis, team physician for the University of North Carolina, and physical therapist Laura Stanley of ProAxis Physical Therapy, who provide tips on how to spot the triad, how to treat it, and how to prevent it. As always, input from our guests is for informational purposes only, and shouldn't be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. With that, here's our interview. Dr. Wakis, we're talking about a condition today that I'm guessing may be more common than it is commonly known. Tell me a little bit about it. Sure. The female athlete triad is a medical condition that we see in physically active girls and women. And as the name indicates, it involves three components. And initially, we described it as eating disorder or disordered eating, osteoporosis, and amenorrhea. However, more recent evolution of the thought about it has realized that it's very much a continuum or a spectrum with the three components being thought of as low energy availability, either with or without disordered eating, menstrual dysfunction, and then low bone mineral density, either osteopenia or osteoporosis. So what are the kind of immediate effects and what are the potential long-term effects? Sure. So the immediate effects are primarily to do with the low energy availability and potentially with the low bone mineral density. So with low energy availability, you may get impaired performance that is either detectable or undetectable by the athlete and or the people that work with her. The other risk is stress reaction or stress fracture due to the low bone mineral density. Thinking about it from a worst-case scenario, what's the potential worst effect that might come out of this? Well, the worst effect is one that is not immediately obvious, and that is that these young women are failing to lay down bone density during the time of their lives where the most bone is being formed. And so in the future, they wind up with compromised bone mineral density, either in the osteopenia phase or more seriously in the osteoporotic level of loss of bone mineral density. Is it correct then that a female athlete could suffer from this condition, not know it, and then really never realize that she had it until she feels the effects of it much later on? Absolutely, absolutely. What what she might find is that later in life when we start to look for osteopenia and osteoporosis or, you know, less dense bones than the average, she could find that her bone mineral density is much lower than you would expect, particularly for a weight-bearing athlete, and that certainly could be the result of the triad from several years previous, even decades previous to it being diagnosed. 
How is nutrition linked in with the triad? Nutrition is the focal point of the triad in that it is where all the other problems arise from. Athletes who are not fueling properly for the physical demands of their sport or of their training wind up with a low energy availability, which then cascades into menstrual dysfunction, which then causes the low bone mineral density. So nutrition is where it all starts. So I want to bring Laura Stanley in at this point. Laura, you're a physical therapist. Are there signs for you when you're talking to female athletes that they may have the triad? What are sort of the warning signs for you? You know, that's somewhat of the irony of this condition is that, like Dr. Wakis was mentioning, some of the signs are not necessarily easily detectable early on. And unfortunately, some of the things that athletes tend to start experiencing are often things that are relatively difficult or uncomfortable to talk about. So from a diagnosis standpoint or a detectable standpoint, many of the signs are relatively underreported. But I think in a physical therapy environment, you can start to pick up on some of the signs that an athlete might be headed down the spectrum in terms of what they tell you about their energy availability. Comments such as, I'm having a hard time making it through my training sessions daily, or I'm feeling really fatigued by the end and my body is starting to hurt in certain ways. And so I think from a PT standpoint, careful questioning about their performance and their sport participation can really give you some good clues as to whether or not someone might be struggling with any of the components of the triad. And to expand on that, that really underlines the importance of treating the whole athlete, right? So not just treating whatever they came to you for, which say may, may have been a knee injury or something like that, really absolutely. looking at them as a whole athlete. Right, absolutely. And I think, you know, many times in my experience and that of my colleagues that I've talked to, you know, you might be treating a young female athlete for a condition completely unrelated to a direct triad correlate. But, you know, as you spend time with these kids in the clinic and you get to know them and you know, helping them rehabilitate from uh, whatever injury you're helping them with, you start to see the ways that these components may manifest in their rehabilitation process in general. So, yes, it's very important to be really attentive to what they're telling you and, you know, how they're performing in rehab as clues for what might be going on with the rest of their life. Dr. Wake has mentioned how crucial nutrition is, but is one type of sport make a female more susceptible maybe than another, say endurance sports versus something else? Yeah, so historically, I think just based on the nature of endurance sports, the intensity of the high-volume training and the repetitive nature of the activity, I think tends to be some of these endurance sports such as running, swimming, even gymnastics, that you tend to see these symptoms manifest a little bit more. I think there is also a correlate of sports that involve an image. So, you know, an athlete who has to be in a certain uniform where body image becomes an issue. All of those things perhaps put an athlete in that type of sport at a higher risk. I think it's important not to ignore the potential for this condition to develop in other sports that aren't typically classified into a high-risk category. There are other psychosocial pressures and physical demands that can lead to these types of behaviors in all sorts of sports. So, you know, I think it's important as healthcare providers to sort of keep our radars up when we're working with athletes from all different sporting backgrounds. When you talk about those warning signs, when you talk about those symptoms, Laura, what are you looking for and what should parents and coaches look for? Absolutely. So, again, you know, most of these signs can be fairly subtle and don't develop quickly. So, from a PT standpoint, you know, we might be working with an athlete for only a couple of weeks or maybe for a period of months, so it's not like an injury, like an ankle sprain, that they're going to immediately develop, you know, certain signs and symptoms that you treat 
immediately. But as you start to form a relationship with an athlete in the PT setting, I think it's important to educate parents. If you start to pick up on signs that there might be something going on health-wise, keeping the line of communication open with the athlete in particular, and if, if it is appropriate to bring in their parents or coaches, educating them on things that the athlete might say with regards to their food choices and their fueling choices, comments that might be made about body image, picking up on signs about how their training might be impacted by their energy availability. All of these things are things that we can, as the healthcare provider, be very aware of and then educate our athletes and our parents on how to best sort of detect them and then how to communicate what should be done next. Dr. Wake is one of those other potential warning signs is menstrual dysfunction. How alarming should that be to a parent if they if they learn that about their child? I would say very alarming. Unfortunately, sometimes the message is not given that this is a warning sign or actually a sign of the triad. Uh, I have seen young women come into college who've been amenorrheic or oligomenorrheic, meaning fewer periods than normal, who've been told, oh, well, isn't that convenient for you? Or, oh, aren't you lucky? That's exactly the wrong message that should be given to these young women. If they've been menstruating regularly and begin to have fewer periods than their usual pattern, or if they're failing to establish a normal menstrual pattern by the age of 15 or 16. This is evidence that the body is shutting down what it views to be its non-essential functions and is well on the way toward the farther end of the spectrum of female athlete triad. You'd like to get these young women, these athletes, before their energy availability is so compromised that the body begins to shut down normal function. One thing to keep in mind is that while we specify no periods for six months as what we would call amenorrhea or lack of periods, even beginning to skip months is a sign that the body is not functioning the way it did when it had adequate energy stores. So I think that's the warning sign that is often overlooked or diminished in its importance. You certainly don't want to wait until these young women are not menstruating at all. You want to catch them when things begin to get irregular and look to see what has changed. Have their eating habits changed or have their training habits changed? Sometimes what happens is they reach a new level of training, whether it be middle school to high school, junior varsity to varsity, getting ready for collegiate athletics. And even though their eating has not changed, their energy demands have significantly increased and they're not keeping up. So it's an incredibly important thing to keep an eye on. And and it's very important to educate the young women themselves because they're the ones who are going to notice this first and foremost. So we mentioned several of the symptoms, the low energy, obviously changes in nutrition and eating pattern the menstrual irregularity, these are all potential symptoms, but once you see these things, how do you go about making an official diagnosis of the triad, or is that enough to go on? Sure. Well, I think the things that you've mentioned are already enough to initiate some intervention. Now, whether you would actually diagnose them as the female athlete triad, there are a couple of issues. The first is to make sure there's not something else going on. And most of the workup that we do is to rule out other things. For instance, other causes of missed or absent periods. 
So when we're trying to rule other things out, you have to think about things like pregnancy or other hormonal imbalances, things like thyroid issues or issues with the ovaries or the reproductive system themselves. So a lot of the blood work that we do is to make sure there's not an underlying other cause of these things. The other thing that depending on what we find in the history we may or may not choose to do right away is obtaining a measure of bone mineral density. So the most common one that people would know about is called a DEXA scan, and that measures bone density in very specific parts of the body based on the patient's age. So that is actually how we would diagnose that third part, which is the bone mineral density or loss of bone mineralization. But there are many young women who, based on symptoms that they report, we would initiate intervention without even getting the DEXA scan, although the DEXA scan can be very helpful in determining how long things have been going on and, and just how compromised the bone mineral density is. I want to get to that intervention in a second, but sure. that scan, take me through that a little bit and how does that work? Is it a painful experience? What's involved there? No, it's not painful at all. It's it's basically a body scan. It's a, a machine that is beyond my comprehension of how it works, but basically they look at the density of the most common scan that's done is looking at the lumbar spine and the hip and the femoral neck, which is the top of your thigh bone as it goes into your hip. And those are weight-bearing areas that should be well mineralized with very good bone density because they bear a lot of the weight that the body carries. And those are places that we have standardized scores to compare to. So when you get your bone mineral density results, it's actually a comparison to women of your own age as opposed to a specific number or a certain result. And then based on those scores, you get classified as to normal osteopenic or osteoporotic. And the scan itself would be then similar to like an X-ray or an MRI? Absolutely. Thank you. Yes. So let's talk about the intervention then. So once you've made this diagnosis or even seen enough symptoms to decide to start moving, what does treatment look like? The mainstay of treatment is bringing the athlete's energy balance back into a balance so that the body has enough fuel to do all of the things that it is being asked to do. Now, some people may wonder, well, if the body's not getting enough fuel, wouldn't you see weight loss? And that's not always the case. And the reason is that the body's very smart in conserving what it needs to conserve. So it's going to shut down that reproductive system that it views as non-essential instead of losing the weight that the body needs to perform what it's being asked to do. So the first and foremost thing to focus on is the athlete's nutrition. Now, this may be a complete unintended lack of fuel, as we talked about when the athlete increases training and doesn't realize that she has these new fuel requirements or caloric requirements, or as you slide down the spectrum, it certainly can incorporate an unhealthy relationship with food, whether that is what we would call disordered eating, meaning unhealthy, purposeful eating habits that are not severe enough to qualify as an eating disorder, or certainly at the far end of the spectrum are the diagnosable anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, eating disorders that, you know, most people have heard of and are aware of. So 
we absolutely want to include and engage a nutritionist and particularly a sports nutritionist who has an idea of the needs of an athlete. And then if there does seem to be a relationship with food that's unhealthy or that's beginning to slide down that spectrum, very often we'll get a sports psychologist or a psychologist involved to try to get to the bottom of why this athlete is having these negative or unhelpful, unhealthy thoughts about food and about fueling. You know, the hope would be that you catch young women before any of that starts and you teach them how to fuel properly before they have issues with their energy balance. That would be ideal and might be worth considering if you have an athlete that, you know, clearly is training at a relatively high level to refer them to nutrition before this even becomes a problem so that they're educated and that they have an idea of what their body requires. Laura, I want to talk about the physical therapist's role in this treatment and dealing with athletes who have this condition. You know, it's called the female athlete triad and athletes right in the name. But what goes <laughs> along with that is the demands that an athlete puts on herself and a desire to sort of stay in the sport that she's doing. So if you know you're dealing with an athlete who's suffering from this condition, what's your approach? Definitely. And I think this is where physical therapists have a really unique opportunity to be a part of the overall intervention for helping athletes deal with this. I think this is usually something 99% of the time that the athlete is not coming to you as your patient because of the female athlete triad, but more of something that might become aware of as you go through their treatment. So from our standpoint, I think the number one thing is to communicate and to build a trusting relationship with the athlete that you're working with. I think as, as you go through physical therapy bout of treatment with this patient, it's really important to just listen and be available to the athlete if they start to communicate with you about any of these other struggles that they're, that they're dealing with. It's also really important to be objective with how you communicate what you're seeing in the athlete, you know, You've got to establish the trust, but also maintain your role as the medical professional who is ultimately responsible for the overall health of the athlete. And that might involve having some conversations with the athlete while they're in your clinic or spending a little extra time with them to dig deeper and find out what's really going on that's helped, that's causing them to develop some of these behaviors. And so I think that leads us down the line of how we work with other healthcare professionals, because if we start to see that this is maybe more of, a, of an issue, it, it becomes not just something that's in the PT scope of care, but more of a medical issue that needs to be addressed by a multidisciplinary team. So again, the PT, we have a, an opportunity to sort of be the bridge between the athlete and other referral sources, such as a physician, a nutritionist, a sports psychologist, and just conveying to the athlete that while we are still very focused on the condition that they have come to us for, we're also a part of the bigger team that needs to be involved to help them properly care for themselves and ultimately get them back to the sport or whatever it is that they're hoping to participate in in a very healthy manner. Dr. Wick, as you mentioned how significantly the problems can be for an athlete with this problem. So, for example, they might have a full-on progressed eating disorder, for example, and that alone could take a significant amount of time to treat. So let's approach this just from an athlete who has progressed far enough to essentially be diagnosable with the triad so that they're fairly early. What's the minimum amount of time to expect to get that athlete properly nourished, properly refueled to change potentially the behavioral patterns that are contributing to this? What's the minimum amount of treatment time to get someone sort of back to um, maybe not 100%, but at least out of the warning zone? Sure. Well, I think 
it's important to realize that just the way the triad progresses in a downward spiral, you're going to see the gradual progression in the positive way in the same time frame. So they didn't get to this point overnight, and it's not going to be overnight that we get them back. Most studies, and there aren't that many, but most indicate that return of menstrual function is an excellent sign that the body is back in balance, and that can take up to several months to more than a year to return. There's evidence that there is usually some degree of weight gain that is required for the body to return its menstrual function. So I think the athlete and the people working with them need to realize that it's a slow, steady progress. There's no magic answer. There's no magic cure. And it's a lot of work, especially if you're trying to reverse thought patterns about eating as well as just how much the athlete is fueling. The other thing to consider is, and we haven't talked about this much, is that if there are stress fractures involved, which is often a sentinel event that makes us then go back and evaluate the other parts of the triad, that not only are you working on the energy balance, but you're also working on getting the bones healthy enough to recover from the stress reaction or stress fracture that is needing to heal as well. Now, keep in mind that along with increasing the energy that's going in or the food or the fuel, you can also improve your energy balance by altering your training or decreasing your training somewhat. I think short of the end part of the spectrum where oftentimes it's essential for the athlete to be withheld for a certain amount of time, athletes in the less severe range are often allowed to continue training. Now, not in the face of a stress fracture, obviously, but, you know, if it's an energy balance issue, we'll often allow them to continue training, but with some modifications so that when everything is laid out as far as energy in versus energy out, you're in a positive balance from the energy going in. But it is generally a prolonged several-month process until the optimum balance is re-achieved. It's named female athlete triad for a reason, and men wouldn't suffer from menstrual dysfunction. But is there a male equivalent to this in any respect, especially related to bone density or anything like that? Or is this a very distinct female condition? So I think the energy balance is certainly something that we see off in our male athletes as well. In particular, they'll complain of decreased performance, fatigue, you know, the inability to train as hard as they feel they should be able to. But the other thing to note that doesn't get talked about very much is that men can suffer from decreased testosterone if their energy balance is severely enough compromised. And one of the reasons that the men have less issues with bone mineral density is because of that testosterone. And if that begins to decline, because, again, the body is viewing that as an unessential process to maintain, then you can see compromise in the men's bone mineral density as well. And there is certainly an argument to check bone mineral density on your male athletes as well who may be particularly lean, who you're worried about their energy balance, or who are either suffering from stress fractures or in a sport where that's a greater risk. You both have 
identified just how important it is to detect this early, hopefully before things progress too far and, and see the warning signs. So let's close by kind of reestablishing some of those themes. Laura, I'll start with you. You mentioned them earlier, but again, the takeaway from somebody who is in contact with an athlete, if not the athlete herself, maybe a coach, maybe a parent, those initial symptoms and warning signs are what? So early on, I think Dr. Wakis spoke to this earlier in the interview, that I think some of the, the keys to the prevention piece before we even see observable warning signs are education on the fact that these things even exist, especially in our young athletes at the middle school, high school level. We're seeing more and more that these kids are participating in intense training, and there's a lot of pressure from multiple sources, including themselves, for performance. So as we move forward as a healthcare field in general, I think making sure that we're all on the same page about when we need to start looking for these signs, as well as how to start communicating them. So certain things such as with young athletes, discussing nutrition in the framework of more fuel for performance instead of just nutrition, which sounds a lot more exciting and more meaningful perhaps to an athlete. I think talking to our parents and our coaches and athletic trainers who are spending the most hours a day or a week with these athletes and are going to probably have the highest chance of seeing some of these trends develop. And then, you know, again, like we mentioned earlier, as we are worried or start to detect possible warning signs, having good, clear discussions with the athlete, providing easy access to care, when an athlete is in need, creating an environment of trust and support versus being accusatory and punishing and making sure that the athlete knows that at the end of the day, it's all of our goal that they are happy and healthy and participating in their sport in a way that provides long-term fulfillment as well as long-term health. Dr. Wakis, do you want to expand on that? What are the keys to prevention? Well, I would agree with Laura 100% that earlier these young women and girls, frankly, are educated about how to fuel their bodies. And I do really agree with framing it in the context of fueling for your performance. The less we're going to see this because the better understanding they'll have of the fact that food is their friend and that they need to fuel appropriately. Going a little farther down the path, what I would say is lack of or fewer periods is not a convenience and it's something that should be brought to your medical professional's attention as soon as irregularity is noted and to explore exactly what the energy balance issue is that's causing these irregularities. And the other thing is, if an athlete does get diagnosed with a stress fracture or stress injury, we use the term stress reaction as well as stress fracture. Those should be warning signs to both the athlete and anyone else working with them that we should be looking for the triad in them. And seeking to prove that it's not there rather than waiting for more evidence of symptomology. So, you know, from a medical standpoint, if either of those two things is diagnosed or noticed, you need to stand up and take notice and look at the bigger picture as to why either the irregular periods or the stress reactions or stress fractures have occurred. Well, hopefully this interview contributes to the education part of it. Kelly Wakis, Laura Stanley, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. To learn more about the female athlete triad, you can access the related symptoms and conditions guide at moveforwardpt.com. If you know the parent or coach of a female athlete, please consider sharing this podcast to spread this important information to a wider audience. For more episodes of Move Forward Radio, search Move Forward PT on iTunes or visit moveforwardpt.com. I'm Jason Bellamy. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. 
Insight from our guests is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Learn more about how a physical therapist can help you and find a physical therapist in your area at MoveForwardPT.com. For an archive of past episodes, visit MoveForwardPT.com radio.